passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the inaugural episode of The Long and Winding Royal Road, a new podcast series here at postwrestling.com, detailing the greatest matches of the 1990s era of all Japan pro wrestling, uh, a personal favorite era of mine, as far as my fandom for for wrestling goes, uh, along with the 1990s uh, New Japan Junior Heavyweight Division. Uh, But, um, you know, the last couple of series I've done, for post-wrestling, uh, Cruel Summer and uh, Thunderstruck uh, have dealt primarily with New Japan Pro Wrestling. So I thought for this series, I want to do something that, you know, kind of details my love for um, this promotion in this time period, primarily looking at the era epitomized by four particular wrestlers, the four pillars of heaven, as they were known as Mitsuhara Masawa, Toshiaki Kawada, Kenta Kobashi, and Akira Tawe, along with other names you'll hear like Jumbo Saruta, Stan Hansen, uh, the Can-Am Express, Jun Akiyama, among other people. And uh, this is not necessarily episode one of this series, even though it's, it is our first episode, because we're not going to look at the 1990s on this episode. We're going to look at the late 80s, actually, because we're going to talk about the, the formation of a championship that is so important to a lot of the matches that we'll be discussing throughout this series, and that is the Triple Crown Championship. So I would like people to consider this kind of like a prelude episode, or if you've read comics, and you'll think of this as like kind of episode zero, uh, that it's going to talk about like the, the formation of this very important championship and one of the most prestigious titles in the history of all of professional wrestling. And uh, joining me today is uh, a YouTube a uh, wrestling video essayist who I discovered recently and whose work I just absolutely love. Uh, he produces some incredible like analysis of different aspects of professional wrestling, whether it's American indie wrestling, Japanese wrestling of the you know the, of recent times, you know mainstream American wrestling, all kinds of things. He is uh, Joseph Montesillo. I say that right, Joseph? Yeah, you did. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I want to I want to thank you for taking the time out. For out of your schedule to come onto this show, and you originate from the Philippines, am I correct? Yeah, that's right. Uh, it's like peak summer season right now, so it's the most Philippines the Philippines can be as of this moment. Well, I'm hoping you're 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 keeping comfortable and safe in these uh, unique times, as as people like to say, these extraordinary times that we're living in right now um i want to talk about you a little bit before we get to the the matches that we're going to discuss today and that is and i want to ask you like what is your uh origin as a professional wrestling fan oh my gosh so uh i recently wrote about this uh on my blog 
Uh, it's so embarrassing and so dumb. The first wrestling segment that ever sparked my fandom was January 2006, Edge and Lita live sex celebration. It worked. I was worked. I was like nine, ten years old. And I watched that and I was like, well, this is now part of my life. This is going to be a thing that will follow me through the years. And luckily, I have expanded uh, the viewing horizons in that time and developed what I hope are some critical faculties to help me sift through it all. But that's actually how it all started back then. How did you get into Japanese professional wrestling? Oh, that's uh, that's all to do, of course, with the internet. You look around... You Google words like best matches ever. And of course, All Japan 90s is going to be the first thing that comes up. Uh, probably, I was probably kind of eased into it by Ring of Honor in the mid to late 2000s. Uh, they had their open relationship with Noah and Japan. So the guys coming into Ring of Honor and the way they were presented, it kind of built up this reputation of japan as this haven for great professional wrestling so that's how i kind of started digging in so one of the reasons why i wanted to have you on this show was because on your youtube channel that we mentioned and we'll get a plug-in for it you can tell people where to find it on youtube but you have this kind of series on your youtube channel called walking the king's road which details basically the same kind of content that that i want to talk about on this show, and I want to just say, uh, just for the record, that I I thought of this show independently of watching your series on YouTube. No, I absolutely believe you because, and this is true, right? Uh, after I posted like the first couple of episodes, I went on Twitter and uh, I I searched for the phrase "walking the king's road," and someone else, a separate writer started like a blog series with the same name and of course it's also talking about all japan in the 90s so like there's only so many different titles you can come up with with like royal road or king's road or pillars so everyone's gonna be talking about this era to death forever it's that iconic it's that important to the history of professional wrestling so like i said before just we're gonna talk about the, the formation the matches that form the triple crown of all Japan Pro Wrestling, the Triple Crown Heavyweight Championship. And for you, like, like, what do you view the Triple Crown like in, in the history of, like, the, the overall history of professional wrestling? It's definitely up there as probably one of the most prestigious championships in the history of professional wrestling. Like, I think uh, the IWGP Heavyweight Championship is kind of held up these days as the gold standard of Japanese pro wrestling championships. But uh, in the 90s, during its inception, during its height, I'd say the Triple Crown was up there, probably a little more uh, respected and critically acclaimed than the IWGP title at the time was. Like, uh, I don't know too much about New Japan heavyweight division at the time which kind of shows how so much of the Japanese heavyweight narrative and discussion is centered around all Japan. It's kind of like the centerpiece of this uh, spectacular time, this moment in pro wrestling. Okay, and so when we talk about the Triple Crown, so people might think, what, what does that mean? What is it referring to, Triple Crown? Well, the Triple Crown is comprised of three 
separate championships and for a long time was represented by three championship belts. And so those three championships are the NWA United National Title, the NWA International Heavyweight Title, and the PWF Pacific Wrestling Federation uh, World Heavyweight Championship. And I was kind of like remembering, trying to remember like what was the history of why uh, All Japan promoter Giant Baba decided to create a single championship from these three belts. And I was trying to do some research on on online different see if I could find articles about it because I remember reading it in print but I couldn't remember exactly the story so I had to reach out Joseph I had to reach out to my good friend Dylan Fox from the Eastern Lariat uh, podcast and Eastern Lariat Patreon and asked him do you know what the story was and and this is so I'm gonna quote verbatim uh, verbatim from what he said to me uh, in a private message uh, so um, this was actually part of a whole build that took place over a year. Uh, originally, the three titles were separate. And in 1988, uh, All Japan had the unification match for the Triple Crown title a year earlier, almost to the day that they actually had the match in 89. Uh, but that match ended with a double countout between Bruiser Brody and Jinichiro Tenru. Uh, eventually, Jumbo beat Brody and Hansen beat Tenru for their respective titles. So in October of 1988, Hansen and Jumbo had a match, but it ended in a double countout. And this is very common in the 80s for All Japan. Like, we think of, like, uh, the, the, the period of the 90s All Japan is all clean finishes. This was not the case in the 70s and 80s for All Japan, Joseph. Because, like, you, believe it or not, a lot of these guys, especially, like, a lot of the foreign talent that Baba would book, didn't want to lose. So they had to come up with all these, like, really bad finishes of, like, double DQs and countouts and things like that. And we should be lucky that, you know, that we got an era nearly 10-year era of just clean finishes. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, it's clear that Baba was kind of reacting to that habit uh, when the 90s did come around. He did make that shift in booking. But uh, there's actually some really great stuff from the 70s and 80s that ends in, like, weird non-finishes. Like, the whole Funks versus Abby and the Sheik feud is just non-finishes for years. And it's an amazing feud. Uh, and I think that part of what makes all those clean finishes in the 90s stand out so much is because it was reacting to uh, basically the booking patterns of Baba beforehand. Then in April of uh, 1989... The Jumbo and Hansen have a match, but Hansen goes nuts during this match, and the match gets thrown out. So three times before the Triple Crown actually exists, uh, they advertised this unification match like three times, and each time a non-finish. So, uh, so they tried on like April 16, 1999. On this date, this last match, the fans almost rioted because they were sick of that quote horseshit from from all Japan, and they wanted to see something. Definitive. They want to see an actual, you know, triple crown champion be crowned here. And Baba was also influenced by the UWF, uh, the the shoot, uh, the work shoot promotion that was huge at the time. Because, and he saw that, wow, these guys are doing really well. What are they doing that's different from from me and from New Japan? Well, they're doing all clean finishes. So he was inspired by that as well. And so, and and. Thankfully, he made that decision because, like, financially for all Japan, it led to probably the greatest, like, you know, box office success that a company has ever seen in its entire history. So 
And then we have, you know, what we're going to talk about later in this, in this episode, we're going to talk about the uh, April 18th, uh, 1989 match. But before we get to that, we're going to list some other matches that, uh, you know, that detail kind of the, the, the road to April 18th, 1989. But what do you, what, what, what are you thinking about? Like when you first discover this title and it's like, wow, how were you, were you deep into like knowing about the history of it, Joseph? There was a time where after I discovered All Japan, I really did kind of invest in understanding the championship history because one of my favorite things to do is I am a big TEW player. I love that whole video game series, so I like looking at real championship lineages to kind of understand booking patterns, see how I can apply that to the games I play. And the Triple Crown was one of the most interesting ones because it is the centerpiece of one of my favorite times in pro wrestling. And looking back on it, there were some very interesting choices made throughout its history, like uh, even beyond its inception, just the way it would bounce between the top native and the top gaijin. And even before that, just how it was apparently baited uh, like I, I, I did not know that it was advertised thrice to be unified, and it only happened at that last one. That's kind of crazy to me. That's that that is wild. Yeah. So let's talk about these uh, these matches uh, that form the triple crown. So first up, and all these matches, you can either find them on YouTube or Daily Motion. You'll find the the, the match links uh, on the, the show description over at postwrestling.com. So number one is. Uh, Jinichiro Tenru taking on Ted DiBiase. It's a tournament final for the NWA United National title from April 26, 1986 from Omiyaku. Uh, and this this match was was okay. I, I gave it three stars. Uh, uh, there's a lot of rest holds, like arm bars from DiBiase and headlocks from Tenru. Uh, Tenru really shows off his love for you, using the enziguri to wear down at DiBiase. He's like he like spams the enziguri quite quite a lot in this match. Uh, he wins with a roll up pin while DiBiase is applying a spinning toe hold on Tenru. And just I gotta say this about Tenru, like watching this series, and you know I, I love Dinichiro Tenru, but it's like I haven't seen many of his matches in, in such a long time. But he really loves this like cradle pin. Yeah, and it's actually really interesting how he's able to incorporate it into a lot of these major matches. Uh, I think it's actually an incredibly efficient use of a move, especially when you get into something much more grand or epic in scale. It becomes a very viable near fall. So I really like that he kind of leaned on it a bit as a finish for some of these title matches. So let's talk a bit about the, the UN Championship. So the NWA... United National title. Uh, it was a professional wrestling championship sanctioned by the National Wrestling Alliance and uh, was best known for eventually being defended in All Japan Pro Wrestling. It was created in 1970 and defended in the U.S. until it migrates over to Japan in 1972 and was primarily held by Jumbo Saruta before becoming part of the Triple Crown. It's kind of like Jumbo's title, essentially. Yeah, if, uh, because uh, I believe Baba really liked to protect his native attractions in Japan, and then he had to balance that with the gaijin. So having all these belts kind of led lent credibility to all the people he wanted to position at the top pretty much simultaneously. 
So next up, uh, Jaina Chertenru uh, is taking on Stan Hansen for the uh, Pacific Wrestling Federation heavyweight title uh, held by Hansen. And uh, keep in mind, Tenru is, of course, the UN champion. So this is a double title unification match from March 9th, 1988 from the city of Yokohama. And this is a very hot match right out of the gate as Hansen is chomping at the bet to get his hands on Tenru, even before the bell rings. Uh, there's a huge brawl outside the ring. Uh, Hansen's really dominating this match. Uh, Tenru fights a lot of the match from underneath. And uh, again, but, you know, he comes back and he wins with, guess what? An inside cradle roll-up. Uh, like, and then, like I said, he, he really loves this move, Joseph. What did you think about this particular match? I definitely like this much more than the DiBiase match. Hansen has such an energy to him that even when he's doing something small or minor, like maybe grab a chin lock, he looks like he really is out to hurt someone. He throws his whole body weight into everything, and it creates such dynamic energy, even if the match itself doesn't always live up to what he's kind of contributing to it. So I had this one at kind of three and three quarters, which is like just on the borderline of great, but you have two guys who are putting in like really excellent performances even though the sum of it doesn't always match up i i gave it four stars myself i i really really enjoyed it i just thought it was a really strong match and made even stronger i think by the crowds and you'll one thing you'll notice about a lot of the crowds in in most of these matches is that they are super hot like more than even like crowds to in 2020 like or well 2019 we can't really count 2020 can we but um if you go back and watch these matches from the 80s and the 90s, it it really, I feel kind of envious about, like, I wish I could go back in time and watch these matches, be in the Budokan, be in, like, Osaka or Nagoya or Yokohama to watch some of these big matches for, for like, these all Japan, like, heavyweight matches, Joseph. Yeah, and you know, there's something to that because through the years, Japanese crowds have gotten this reputation for being, like, subdued and quiet and hard to please but when you really dig into the history when the product is hot the crowd is hot they are blazing they are loud and you know uh that that idea that japanese crowds are naturally inclined to be quiet i think is kind of a bit of an excuse that some people have been using through the years to kind of mask um product that's on the decline maybe because when a Japanese crowd is invested they will very vocally let you know about it well I think that's an excuse usually used by uh, you know foreign wrestlers who come to Japan to explain why they're seemingly not over well maybe just because you're not that good you know yes absolutely you know this narrative has come almost entirely from gaijins working in Japan and not people in Japan. Yeah, I mean, like, or or it's, like, people watching it on tape who live outside of Japan. Like, if you're in Japan, like, you, you, if you sit amongst the Japanese people at a wrestling show, like I have done many times, like, you can tell, like, they're invested in watching the match, especially for the good match. They're, they're, they're kind of, like, analyzing this and, like, thinking about what's being done and, and getting invested. It's not until like the big, you know, crescendo of a match happens or the finishing sequences start happening that they are like going, like going crazy and like getting really hot about what's happening. But, you know, you, you don't want to, you know, I don't know, burn yourself out 
too quickly, especially if you know it's like a triple crown championship match between Masao and Kawada is probably going 25 to 40 minutes. So, you, you know, like you got to pace yourself as a fan in Japan, Joseph. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, th- these matches really do show that uh, they care about wrestling and they are as much a part of why this time in wrestling is so beloved because they do add a lot to the atmosphere behind these matches. Every single one of these matches, even when the in-ring doesn't always live up to it, they always do feel big. There's a real sense of importance to them. So just before we continue, we should talk about the the PWF World Heavyweight Championship. The PWF stands for the Pacific Wrestling Federation. And the best way I can explain the PWF is it's it's kind of the all-Japan uh, governing body for titles. So it's kind of like what the International Wrestling Grand Prix is for the uh, for New Japan Wrestling. The PWF is for All Japan. This title was created in 1973 by Giant Baba. Uh, he was the first champion after he won a series of 10 matches against Bruno San Martino, Terry Funk, Abdul the Butcher, The Destroyer, Wilbur Snyder, Don Leo Jonathan, Pat O'Connor, and Bobo Brazil, which is a hell of a collection of Wrestling legends right there, Joseph. That is a murderer's row of uh, people you want to go over if you're trying to look for credibility. Like, no wonder Baba was so beloved. Uh, The title, uh, which had originally been classed as a world championship, was downgraded to regional status after All Japan joined the uh, National Wrestling Alliance, uh, but retained its status as the top All Japan singles title until uh, 1983. Um... Which is, you know, it's, it's, we got to talk about this. This is like, you know, all Japan really valued this alliance with the, the NWA. But, you know, we can't discount like they had relationships with other wrestling promotions throughout its existence, in, including a significant relationship with the American Wrestling Association. Because, you know, Baba famously bought a, an AWA world title reign for Jumbo Saruta from Vern Gagne. Yeah, and I think that also lends itself to why he valued so many of these different championships to such a comparable degree. Uh, it, it very much feels like there's a bit of a hedging of bets here when it comes to Baba's booking. He had the relationship with the AWA, and he was still bringing in the NWA world champion pretty regularly to have defenses against his top guys. We had those matches with Ric Flair and Jumbo Saruta. There were matches between uh, Kerry Von Erich and Jumbo Saruta as well. So Baba really was trying to pull in as much credibility to his company as he could with all these different championships. Definitely. I, uh, third match we, we want you to take a look at is Jumbo Saruta taking on Bruiser Brody for the NWA international heavyweight title from uh, April 19th, 1988 in uh, Sendai. Uh, a big part of the middle of this match is Jumbo working over Brody's left arm, primarily with an arm bar. Uh, Brody takes it outside and gains the advantage. Uh, really picks up the pace around the 17-minute mark with Jumbo hitting his flying knee and Brody coming back with hitting moves like suplexes and an amazing leg drop that the Jumbo sells just so perfectly here, Joseph. Yeah, it's really it. It does pick up towards the end. It's a little slow to get started. There's a lot of uh, dueling arm work from both guys, which is not something I expected to see in a Bruiser Brody match. Uh, but when it does start going and they start dropping bombs, it becomes pretty fun. It's a really good match towards the end. 
I gotta say, the biggest pop uh, from the crowd was when Brody uh, was just throwing Jumbo back into the ring because I think they were worried that this is going to become a, a double count out or or just go around the ring or and or go all over the crowd or anything like that. But you know, Brody wanted to finish this match because probably Baba said, "Hey, we gotta have a finish this match." Uh, uh, yeah, so. I gave, I gave this uh, a three and three quarter star rating. Uh, Jumbo wins with his uh, patented backdrop hold. And what did you think of this match? It was pretty good. It won me over by the end. I gave it a three and a half. So it's a very good match. I'd say save it for maybe the completionists. You're not really wasting your time watching it, but it's not something I would go out of my way for personally. So, and let's talk about the NWA International Heavyweight title. It's a single title that was recognized by the NWA through its partnership with the, the Japan Pro Wrestling Alliance, which is the precursor to both All Japan and, and New Japan Pro Wrestling. And then it was moved over to uh, All Japan Pro Wrestling from 1981 to the withdrawal of All Japan from the NWA in 1988. The NWA considered the NWA international title to be its top singles championship in Japan. In 1983, Giant Baba would elevate the title even further in the eyes of many when he, as the reigning PWF heavyweight champion, declared Jumbo to be the new ace of all Japan after Jumbo won the NWA International Championship from Brody. Uh, Following the withdrawal of all Japan from the NWA, the international title was briefly sanctioned by the PWF until the creation of the Triple Crown uh, could be completed. So there you have the the, his, the brief histories of each of the three titles comprising the Triple Crown. So Joseph, that brings us to match number four, the actual uh, unification match. Stan Hansen. Uh, no, sorry. Wait a sec. We got to get to one more. Sorry, that's match number five. Match number four is uh, a, another title match between Stan Hansen and uh, Jinichiro Tenru. It's for the unified PWF UN title from July 27th, 1988 in Nagano. Um, so very quickly here, Hansen jumps Tenru in the aisle and bloodies him up. I originally thought it was with his cowbell, but uh, it turns out he's, he, he hit him in the head with one of the championship belts. I think it was the UN title. Yeah, he completely just busts him open uh, right before the bell even goes, and it's a really dramatic start to the match. Uh, Hansen basically dominates most of this match with Tenru having some rallying points throughout. Uh, Hansen really beats the shit out of Tenru in this match. Like, he is a complete bloody mess in this match. Uh, Hansen wins the match and the titles via countout after uh, Hansen Laird literally sends Tenru off the apron. So, picture this. Tenru is outside of the ring. He's trying to get onto the top rope to do a move. And then Hansen uh, pops up. He just charges straight across the ring and just wallops Tenru and hits him with a lariat. And this sends Tenru down to the floor and he just rolls all the way into the aisle, halfway to the dressing room. And it was fucking amazing to see that. This match is amazing. It is one of my favorite one-sided matches ever. Hansen just destroys Tenryu throughout the entire thing. He busts him open and the entranceway completely just kicks his wound in for like 15 minutes and then lariats him off the apron all the way into the crowd. Like, Tenryu bumped like a madman for Hansen in this match. It's one of my favorites uh, from the series that we're discussing today. 
after after the match ends, uh, Hansen pays tribute to Bruiser Brody, who had who had been murdered earlier uh, in the year, and, and this is a you know that, that was of course happened in in Puerto Rico. I gave this a, a four star rating, and you know I, I gotta say one thing about this relationship with Tenru and Hansen they they were uh, a great tag team uh, in uh, maybe like it was in eighty eight I think they started eighty seven or eighty eight they started teaming, and this is after they. I think dissolved their partnership. Like they lost the titles to Dr. Death, Steve Williams and Terry Gordy. And then Hanson turned on him. Or is that later on, Joseph? I can't remember. I, I do believe that's a little later on because in 89, during the famous triple crown match, we'll be talking about later. Hanson is Tenryu's second. So they were partnered in 89. Okay. So that happens a little later, but you know, Hey, what's, what's a little like uh, beating the shit out of each other between tag team partners, right? Yeah, that absolutely. It's, Especially in all Japan, uh, with all the round robin formats and chasing after the titles, it's a it's a common thread throughout all Japan's history. All right, so now we're getting to the uh, actual unification match, Joseph. This is uh, Jumbo Suruda taking on Stan Hansen to create the Triple Crown Heavyweight Title. This is from April eighteenth, nineteen eighty nine, in the Oda Ward Gymnasium in Tokyo. And let's go through this. Uh, so Jumbo comes in. He's, of course, the NWA International Heavyweight Champion. Hansen is, of course, the PWF and NWA uh, United National Champion. Uh, J- uh, uh, Jumbo comes out first to his signature theme, simply titled J. And Hansen comes out to an early version of his classic Sunrise theme song. And I, I love both of these songs, Joseph. They're pretty iconic uh, in the All Japan world. Uh, it's because they kind of do still stick around towards uh, the later, the early years of the 90s. So th- they, these are some of the best wrestling theme songs from that time in Japan. And they're connected to such iconic wrestlers. You can't help but remember them. Uh, there are kids waiting in the ring to give flowers to Jumbo and Hanson, which is a smart, fo- smart move by Baba. Because so, even Hanson isn't going to go crazy before the start of the bell. Uh, while there are children in there, or at least you hope not. You know, you say that because in one of the earlier matches, he is going nuts with some of the ladies in the ring who are carrying flowers for the wrestlers. I think in one of the Tenryu matches, Tenryu straight up throws a bouquet in Hansen's face and he whips it out of the air with his bull rope. It's amazing. It's fantastic, but I, I thought I thought maybe this is very deliberate on Papa's part, just to like you know keep him calm before the the start of the match itself. Uh, of course, uh, our referee for this match is the legendary Joe Higuchi, uh, wearing his. I think he's wearing all black in this match, which is kind of a shame because like I love the the powder blue referee suit of one Joe Higuchi. It's completely classic i love that image of him whatever you may think of him as a referee he's been a part of some of the best matches of all time and just the look of him you know who it is as soon as you see him well i think like it's later on he he kind of like you know slows down as a referee i think here he's still fine he's he's counting really you know like good pace and everything but like coming up behind him is of course kyoi wada who's who's in some of these matches and he's already at, at you know, in 1988, 1989. Kyoi Wada is already an amazing referee. But, you know, Joe Gucci is the legend. He's, he's Baba's right-hand man, or at least one of them. 
and and uh, you know like he's he's got the the cachet with the fans. So he is of course the the referee in this historical match. Uh, both men are wildly popular to the fans. Uh, high paced tone is set early in this match with both men exchanging a variety of strikes, chops, elbows, etc. Uh, Jumbo's strategy is to ground Hansen with arm bars and a head scissors. Uh, Hansen tries to employ a similar strategy strategy with less favorable results, so he abandons any further attempts to out-wrestle Jumbo and throws him to the floor where he batters him around. And this is kind of like his, you know, Hansen's strategy is like, I'm just going to beat the shit out of this guy. Yeah, absolutely. It's very clear-cut. Um, uh, Jumbo is the wrestler and Hansen is kind of the brawler in this situation. But what I appreciate about Hansen is that I mentioned earlier the energy he puts into each performance. When he is struggling on the mat with Jumbo, it's not smooth, it's not clean, but it's almost better for that because he just tries to scrap and claw out of these head scissors and arm bars and it looks incredibly realistic. Any kind of wrestling hold from Hansen is kind of a prelude to just hitting him hitting Jumbo as hard as he fucking can. That's that's my kind of my notes about his wrestling style in this match. Uh, I love how, I love how everything Hansen does is so crisp and has power behind it. Like he is kind of like people. I don't really think too many people talk about how his style of wrestling, like the the kind of the the, the snap he puts into all his moves, is really influential to a lot of the wrestlers here in all japan that we see kind of emerge like misawa and and kobashi and kawada and all them yeah there's something to be said to that in terms of how he really puts his whole weight behind things he does this he does this short uh charge where he'll just lunge at someone to kind of knee them in the head and it looks horrifying, even from a distance at the hard cam. Like, I can only imagine being Jumbo on the mat, seeing that bulk of a man just dive at me with his weight. It's it's so impressive. It comes across so well on the footage as as well. Like, it completely holds up. Uh, Jumbo lands his jumping knee for a big two count. Uh, he decides to repay the favor that, uh, you know, Hansen gave to him by throwing him out to the to the outside of the ring to beat him up. Uh uh, Jumbo really lays it into Hansen to the point where the fans are booing him a little. So he's kind of getting the fans to kind of, the fans are kind of turning on him. I don't know if this is on purpose or not, Joseph. You know, I was going through the old observers from around this time. And when he was reporting on this match, Meltzer was under the impression that Jumbo was kind of the top heel in all Japan. Like he was writing about how this is meant to position Jumbo as the top heel in all Japan. And I was rewatching this match and that did not make sense to me at all, especially when we get to the finish and how that plays out. But, you know, uh, fans in Japan are, um, from what I've seen, they have very strict uh, adherence to the rules so that's why things can get heat even when the person who's not necessarily delineated as the heel uh, takes a few liberties in the ring. Well, I think also it helps that, you know, Stan Hansen is probably the most beloved, you know, gaijin wrestler to ever step in the ring in, in, in Japan, ever. It's like no one in the last 10 years has ever touched this man's popularity, like and his, like, nationwide like recognition factor i'll i'll tell people like randomly like oh yeah i like professional wrestling i like japanese professional wrestling and they'll say do you know giant baba yeah you know antonio noki yeah do you know stan hansen 
It's no one. No one fucking says Kenny Omega. No one says <laughs> like uh, fucking. Uh, I don't know who else is there. Like like you know. No one ever asked me. Do you know who Kenny Omega is? No. They always ask me if they're not wrestling fans. Do you know who Stan Hansen is? Because Stan Hansen is a legendary figure in Japan. Uh, like and has been for you know like since he, he debuted i don't know back in the 70s right for, for new japan for wrestling originally but back to the match itself let's see where am i in my notes uh, uh hansen takes a break to the outside after being in uh jumbo's abdominal stretch including going into the aisles uh he he starts you know he just wants to get as much distance from jumbo as he can jumbo follows him Thankfully, they don't spend the next 10 minutes brawling in the crowd like you would see like in Imagine 2019, Joseph. Yeah, absolutely. They 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 keep it nice and compact, at least. Yeah, uh, Jumbo quickly takes Hansen back to the ring where uh, Hansen is able to rally back with chops and kicks, uh, but uh, Jumbo regains the advantage. Uh, Hansen avoids uh, another Jumbo jumping knee in the corner and hits a back suplex. He then hits a couple of King Kong knee drops in honor of the late Bruiser Brody, uh, whom the uh, you know the announcers mention on commentary here. Yeah, they're they're sort of paying homage. Brody was one of the top gaijins of the time as well. I, I if I were to guess, I would imagine he would be only behind Hansen in terms of how he was positioned in the promotion at the time. I think it, it like you know in the '80s, it's kind of like it's Hansen, it's you know the, the Terry Funk. Even though I can't remember if he's retired at this point or he's come back yet, I know he's he's kind of going to be back in the NWA, isn't he? Against Ric Flair in that eight nine feud, but he might have been quote unquote retired in Japan at this point. But like Terry Funk was one of the most beloved wrestlers in in all of Japan as well in the in the seventies and eighties. So I'm going to say it's probably Hanson. And Terry Funk, but but don't quote me. If people want to say, no, Terry Funk was more popular even then, like, I, I'm not going to argue with the point on there. Uh, but definitely, yeah, Bruiser Brody is definitely up there as well. Uh, Hansen only gets a two count from uh, these King Kong knee drops, and uh, then he drops his knee pad and hits a running a King Kong knee drop onto uh, Jumbo's forehead. This looks like it really fucking hurt. Uh, he then follows Jumbo to the outside of the ring to deliver an elbow to the forehead, which I think this busts Jumbo open. So now Jumbo is bleeding. I don't know if it's from the vicious knee drop to the head or from this elbow or if, you know, during the in-between of those two moves, like, he did a blade jump. I believe from what I... Because I did notice the blood. I was trying to figure out what they were trying to imply caused it. I believe from what I heard on commentary, they did bring up again the King Kong knee drop. So I think that's what they were trying to get across busted open Jumbo. Uh, Hansen batters Jumbo with a chair, wearing him down even further. There is a pile driver, a back elbow, a second rope fist drop, from all from Hansen, but uh, Jumbo won't sit down. To add insult to, uh, to Jumbo's injury, uh, Jumbo hits... Uh, sorry, Hansen hits Jumbo with his own jumping knee. What an asshole. <laughs> Hansen is amazing. He is really just one of the absolute all-time greats. And it's because he brings so much of this fire to these matches. Just these little touches in his physicality that lends a lot of substance to his ring work. Uh, Hansen finally signals for the Western Lariat, Joseph. He then charges at Jumbo. Who ducks? Hansen hits the ropes, bounces off them, and J- Jumbo Saruta rolls him up for the one, two, three, 
and becomes the first Triple Crown champion with a mistake and a roll up. Not not a <laughs> not a series of, you know, big false finishing, power bombs, brain busters, lariats, or anything like that. He Hansen makes a mistake, jumbo capitalizes with a roll up and, and becomes the Triple Crown champion in seventeen minutes and 53 seconds, and I'm just going to give my rating for this match. I gave this match four and a half stars. I think the finish was good, but I was a little surprised at, wow, that that's it. I was really expecting another, I don't know, five to ten minutes more, and them exchanging bombs, but that's not how it ended. It ended with this this roll-up, and I, I kind of like it, and I'm kind of disappointed by it at the same time. No, yeah, I don't think they had quite gotten into that habit of the extended finishing stretch with all the big bombs and near falls that we associate with that style so well. I think that comes in just a little bit later in the timeline. Uh, but there is a lot of uh, cohesion in terms of the themes and the tropes that they've been playing with here. One of the big things I noticed watching these matches back is that there's a really big theme of evasion, you know, making your opponent uh, end themselves. Like, Tenryu did it a lot when he was wrestling Hansen. Uh, Hansen was so bullish in throwing himself at everything that if you just get out of dodge, he's gonna crash and burn. And that was a kind of consistent theme throughout all of these matches, that if you get out of dodge, Hansen is gonna end up screwing himself and you have the opportunity to take advantage and become the first ever Triple Crown champion. There you go. Um, you know, I'm not the only one who thought it was kind of you know, a bit of an anticlimactic climatic finish because Hansen thinks this too because he just then proceeds to immediately beat the shit out of Jumbo Suruta even even more and, you know, takes a lot of the, uh, the, the young boys and the seconds to kind of get him off. But, you know, as a bonus for the fans in attendance, you know, Stan Hansen does hit the Western Lariat on a young Kenta Kobashi. And, and I've made a note that Kenta Kobashi will know the wrath of this Western Lariat many times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, first of many. First of many. <laughs> yes, uh, including the really famous one that knocks him off the top turnbuckle and nearly murders the poor guy. But that's much down the line. I'm sure I'll be talking about that match sometime in a future episode. Uh, yeah, I mean, my, my thing is like, you know, I'm sure Baba was like, okay, it's going to win. Jumbo's going to win with the roll-up, but but Stan, just just... You know, take one of the young boys, give them the Western layer, take off their head. It doesn't matter. That's what they're there for. And, you know, he, unfortunately for Kobashi, or, or maybe fortunately, you know, Kenna Kobashi is a, a consummate professional wrestler. He probably was like, I'll do it. I'll take it. Absolutely. And, you know, you, you might as well get used to it. It's going to be a big part of your career for the next few years. So uh, uh, Hansen finally leaves and Jumbo receives his prize, which is all three championship belts. He is the first ever all Japan Pro Wrestling Triple Crown Heavyweight Champion. I gave this match, uh, yeah, I gave this match four stars. Oh, no, sorry, I gave this match four and a half stars. Uh, I thought, uh, yeah, this is a pretty good match. Um, your thoughts? Uh, you're probably a little higher on it than I am, uh, but even though I'm not quite as high on it as you are, I really did enjoy the individual performances that both these guys put in. Jumbo is just so good at selling. By the time that he's busted open, he is just completely selling his ass off. He he is so sympathetic. Even though he's such a large man, he's still kind of overshadowed by the hulking mass of Stan Hansen. And the the finish, it can come off as anticlimactic, but, you know... 
there's something there to the idea that Jumbo was trying to wrestle this match and Hansen was just trying to beat the shit out of Jumbo and at the very end Jumbo outthought him he outfoxed him and he gets to have the title for it and now you know we 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 formed the triple crown and as a bonus kind of on this episode I want to talk about the first title change and it's a match that you discussed on one of your episodes on uh, Walking the King's Road, Joseph. So let's talk about Jumbo Surya defending his Triple Crown against uh, Genrichiro Tenryu on uh, June 5th, 1989 in Budokan Hall in Tokyo. Um, you you detailed a lot of the backstory of this match. So if you can give us a bit of that backstory and give the listeners like your thoughts on this match. And, and I'll talk about what I felt about it after you're done. Right. So absolutely. So uh, what... Jumbo's main feud coming out of winning the Triple Crown Championship was against Genichiro Tenryu. They used to be tag team partners that they they diverged. And now they're kind of locked in this battle over who is the top native worker in Japan. And of course, the only way to truly decide that is by who has the Triple Crown Championship. Now, the famous match between these two for the Triple Crown uh, does happen on June 5th, if I'm getting that right. Yeah, June 5th, 1989 in Budokan Hall. But about a week earlier, they had actually wrestled in Osaka for the Triple Crown Championship. And the story of that goes is that in the finish, Jumbo nails his classic folding power bomb and he gets the three, but it's off. It is noticeably off on the footage. Jumbo's a little surprised. Uh, the story goes that that power bomb basically knocked out Tenryu legitimately. And there was no way he was going to finish that match. By the time Jumbo hooked his leg, it was going to be 1 to 25. You could have counted forever. Tenryu was knocked out. So I don't know what the initial plans were for the title. Uh, there is every chance that Tenryu would have been scheduled to win the belt then and there in Osaka. But luckily, because things went wrong, we get the rematch in Budokan Hall. And it is a absolute classic. It is one of the greatest matches of all time. It is sort of the prototype of what King's Road style would be down the line into the 90s. But kind of stripped back to its most basic elements of these guys just kind of beating the hell out of each other, making things look good, making things feel like there is a genuine struggle between the two, and going into a very long, extended finishing stretch where people are dropping bombs that you might have expected from the inauguration match. You get it here in the rematch. There's power bombs, there's the jumping body scissors, which, which Jumbo loves to do. But it's not just near falls for the sake of it. It comes across as this transition between the two men, where Jumbo was this ace figure who was very much on top of his game, but Tenryu was really beloved by the fans. They wanted to kind of see him overtake Jumbo. And Tenryu has to basically go through a trial by fire. He has to absorb the best that Jumbo throws at him. And only when he survived that can he come out victorious at the end and have the Triple Crown Championship. Yeah, um, I I thought this was such an amazing match. And, you know, for people who don't, you know, don't, haven't familiarized themselves too much with 1980s All Japan, like you have to kind of, you know, think of the formula that, you know, that Baba uses in the 90s with Masawa and Kawada. Like, so Masawa and Kawada are tag team partners. Then... 
you know, they break off and they become rivals. And then, you know, they, they trade wins and battles between in singles matches between each other in, in tag team matches with different partners and, and the such. This is a similar formula that Baba used in, in the eighties with Jumbo and Tenru. So Jumbo and Tenru were tag team. They, they were tag team champions. Then they broke off. And then, you know, I think it was Jumbo formed the Olympics with, uh, uh, Yoshiaki Yatsu, uh, and, and, uh, Tenru formed Revolution with Asahara Hara, and they battled over over the tag team titles. And then later on, Tenru and and Hanson become a tag team. I think because Hara is fired by Baba because of massive gambling debts. I believe that's that's the reason Hara is not his tag team partner anymore. And and Tenru teams up with Hanson, and these guys have some hellacious battles. The Olympics versus like uh, Tenru and Hanson is a match that uh, I absolute love i think it's from the real world tag league finals from 1989 have you seen that match joseph i have not seen that one i have i saw the one uh the previous year without jumbo where it's hansen and gordy against uh kawada and tenryu okay you gotta watch the olympics versus hansen and tenryu i watched it last night for the first time ever it's amazing i i'm gonna i'm gonna go tweet it out about it later on you'll probably see it on on twitter but uh Back to this match, Jumbo versus Tenru. Tenru becomes the second ever Triple Crown champion. Um, I give it five stars. I absolutely loved it. And and he would, you know, pretty much leave the company soon after he becomes the Triple Crown champion. He would go on to form uh, SWS, Super World Sports. And then when that folds, he would form WAR, Wrestling and Romance. And then he becomes a kind of a journeyman. He wrestles people from all over Japan, like from FMW, from like different hard hardcore death promotions, and eventually lands in uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling, where he becomes the second ever person to hold both the IWGP and Triple Crown Champions. The first one would be Vader, and uh, yeah, like I think you know one of the things you got to say is like Jumbo becomes ill in the '90s. Um, he passes away, unfortunately, and so you know you know Baba is forced to elevate. Uh, Masawa, Kawada, Tawe, and Kobashi. And I don't know if he would have done that so much or or as quickly as he did if, if, if Tenru was still in All Japan, Joseph. No, absolutely. Uh, when I was going back through the <coughs> early 90s of All Japan, it really <coughs> becomes clear that Baba has a very set pattern uh, of booking where he's very much the type of booker who was very much invested in the chase and putting all your eggs in one basket. And in the early 90s, late 80s, that basket was Jumbo Saruda. So he just completely put everything on Jumbo. Jumbo was the guy on top, and everyone was chasing after Jumbo. And the whole story where we as fans might perceive it is the chase of someone coming after Jumbo. I think in Baba's mind, it might have been much more about Jumbo fending off challengers. So he's really had a very conservative take on who he positions at the top and how quickly or how slowly he might progress the next generation. And he was kind of his his hand was kind of forced because of all these different circumstances in the early nineties. Uh, I apologize for my coughing. I thought I put myself on mute, and then I I noticed my light's still on. So sorry. Oh, it's okay. No, no problem. Uh, um, I'm also apologizing to, to you, Joseph, and to all the listeners. My voice is kind of going, don't worry, I'm not sick. I just have a dry throat right now. But um, yeah, so it, that's the, the formation of the Triple Crown. And, and we'll be hearing about Jumbo 
uh, as the series goes on, we're going to talk a lot about his matches in, in the early part of the 90s in, in the long and winding Royal Road. We're not going to talk too much about Tenru, if, if ever again, uh, unless someone picks a match that features Tenru from the 90s, which is possible. We'll see if that happens. But uh, yeah, I, you know, Joseph, let, let, that kind of brings us to the, to the close of the show. And, and let's plug where people can find more of your work. I want, to, I want you to plug your YouTube channel. I want you to plug anything else that you, you're, you're working on. Yeah, absolutely. If you want to see uh, everything else that I've been working on, which includes Walking the King's Road and a bunch of different video essays I do, usually covering stuff from the American Independence, you can find me at youtube.com slash Joseph Montesilio YT. I'm pretty sure there'll be a link in the show description down below. You can also find me on my wrestling blog where I'm tracking all my favorite matches of 2020 plus some miscellaneous projects here and there. That is at uh, josephmontesilio.wordpress.com. So that's josephmontesilio.wordpress.com. Thank you so much for having me on here. Oh, yeah, no problem. Do you want to, how about on Twitter? Can people find you on Twitter, Joseph? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm at Joseph Weirdness. I'm always talking about wrestling there. So just follow me, reply. Let's talk about wrestling, whatever comes up. Yeah, definitely give give Joseph a follow on Twitter. Check out his blog. Definitely check out his YouTube channel. It's amazing. I, I think, like, my favorite video that you've done outside of the Walking the King's Road stuff is, like, your... Your look at the the Timothy Thatcher versus Daniel Wakabe trilogy that that it, that you did a while ago that was uh, kind of put my way through uh, a mutual acquaintance of ours, uh, Jamesy from the British Wrestling Experience, which you can also hear at postwrestling.com. And I know my good friend Joseph Bay is also a big fan of your your channel. He just discovered it recently, and he's he's been he's been talking. Uh, gushingly about the content that you're doing. So I think it's amazing work. If, if you're not familiar with Joseph's work on YouTube, please uh, check out. We're going to have a, a link in the description for this show, obviously. Uh, my name's WH Park. You can find me every month with John Pollock on Post Perez. You can find me at WH Park 9. And uh, if you go to the, the, the store at postwrestling.com and you're going to see the new T-shirt we have out for Post Perez Please buy one. They're really cool design from my, my good friend, uh, Robert Pearson. And yeah, and, and wear it when, when things open up in Japan. Wear this t-shirt. And if I see you, I will I will say, hey, that's a nice t-shirt. And uh, for Joseph, until the next time, until the next episode of The Long and Winding Royal Road, I will say goodbye. Goodbye.